right, so I asked who was here last week, because I'm going to do a little bit of a review, but it's not necessary you were here, but it will benefit you later if you go back and listen to last week's study. We have it available online, of course. We're looking at discipleship. Um, really, it's, so, it's a term that's often used. It's, in my experience, in the church, uh, discipleship is often, maybe even inadvertently, been related to a series, um, a schedule, a program, a system, a seven-week discipleship course, a 12-week discipleship course. And I, I, like, as I said last week, I don't have any problem with those, but those need to be a supplement, not a substitute. They're to supplement a lifestyle of discipleship, a life of living for Jesus, a life of what that, not just a Christian cliche, I'm living for Jesus, but a living, visible expression of a manner and a, and a motive and a value and the things we, we hold dear to be expressed in how we live. And so let me, let's consider some essentials to genuine discipleship. I want to go over these because I felt they were really uh, I, I really seen the importance last week, and it's really it's important to even kind of review. And so we were in John chapter one last week, and we were looking at how Jesus called the early disciples and how he spoke to even John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, we know, was in a sense a distant relative, if you would, of Jesus. He certainly heard, and there was certainly some conversation between. Mary and Elizabeth, and, and, and you know, there just, just had to be something that, hmm, they pondered. And then the, 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 the two boys were born, John the Baptist and Jesus. Uh, approximately um, 30 years have transpired since their birth. And John the Baptist is called to go as a forerunner, as one, you remember that, that description from the Old Testament, a voice crying in the wilderness? Uh, speaking to repent, speaking to prepare the, for the way of the Lord, prepare your hearts. So when John is, is about his public ministry, he's walking in obedience. But if you look in verse 29, we'll see that it says that the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and the Spirit remained upon Jesus. I did not know Jesus, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Under our theme, our thought topic of discipleship, we see John the Baptist was given enough information to obey and to observe. If you thought about this, here's John the Baptist. And he's not certain. I mean, God give him, this will be the visual verification. This will be your personal validation. That the Spirit, when the Spirit descends upon him, that's the one. You'll know that that's him. Don't you find that interesting? With some of the things I've prefaced with saying, well, they were relatives. 
But this was really where God was saying, listen, this is going to be for sure. So John actually is declaring of one to come, who he even said here, prophetically, speaking of Jesus as creator and his eternalness, he was before me. John's declaring that, but he, he, so he's walking in obedience, but he's also supposed to observe. Because God said to him, you'll know who he is. You you caught the text, right? The one whom the Spirit descends upon, you'll know that's him. That'll be your, your confirmation, your deep conviction, your verification. And I've loved it because John's being discipled as well. And he's, and that's my exhortation. John the Baptist obeyed and observed. He obeyed what God had put on him his heart to do. And so he's doing it. But he's also, because of what he's told, he's looking to see what will transpire, what will unfold. Discipleship involves your will, willingness, and your senses. Let me read to you Hebrews, and you can turn to it if you'd like, Hebrews chapter 5. We've been going through Hebrews as a study on Tuesdays uh, and even Wednesday morning, men and women's study. But in Hebrews chapter 5, Look with me, if you would, at verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now track with me on what that's conveying to you and I as followers of Christ. Solid food, instead of just being on the bottle and the milk, solid food belongs to those who can take these physical faculties and allow them to be managed by the person of the Holy Spirit so that our senses, you see, we're saying that our our senses are exercised. Well, what are our senses? Our ears, our eyes, the senses, the, the gates for this frame, this body, are utilized for his glory. I mention that because sometimes there's this perception, and it's very common, that God will just move us. He will direct our steps. We, we say that. We, he is the light unto our path. And so there's an odd perception sometimes. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. He will move me. He will lead me. He will show me. Yes, he will. As your senses are sharpened and you're able to discern good and evil. It's, discernment is not just intellectual. It's spiritual. And so we know the natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit, for these things must be spiritually discerned. So what I would say to you is learning, we, as disciples, we learn to be led by the spirit. Not just in areas that are maybe more attention-oriented, but even in how we think and what we allow to come in our ears and in our eyes and what we value. It's like, you know, I just, this has been one of my favorite passages over the year for, for maturity. I believe God just brings me back to this one. Dan, if you're going to eat of the word, if you're going to get full nourishment out of what I have for you, if you want to be of full age, by reason of use, you need to have your senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so it's not just me doing it. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we're learning the sensitivity. So discipleship involves your will, willingness, your senses, and faith. If you stay there in Hebrews and go over a couple chapters, so chapter 11 to verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, you have a calling, an invitation. As a believer, you're invited to be a disciple. You know, all disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. Do you realize that? Because some people just want to hang on the edge. They just want to know they've got their pass into heaven and they're going to get through the pearly gate, so to speak. And they're content with that. I just challenge you. I don't think that's a good standard or a good place to, to kind of just get close. You know, I just don't even think that's a good way to live life, period. You know what I mean? Just Well, what's the least amount I can do? I, I actually have a, a term for it that I refer to. It's, it's called BMD. And I, I, I apply this when I'm engaging with people in different aspects. I don't get into all those details. I call it bare minimum disorder. You've met people maybe. They just want to do the bare minimum and know their conscience is clear. They're okay. There's, there's actually very few people that are truly that way. We just sometimes entertain. Ah, close enough. Good enough. You know what I say? Close enough isn't. In our walk with the Lord and reality of life, close enough isn't. I want more. I want to be closer. A disciple involves their will, involves their senses, and believe that, God, you, you will direct my steps. You will lead me. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's not possible to please the Lord. Not faith that I generate, not faith that I, I talk about, but as we've seen even on Sunday, and I referenced out of 1 Corinthians 12, out of Romans 12, God imparts, distributes, distributes out a measure of faith to every believer. So you've got enough faith distributed by a gracious God to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and come into relationship with him through, through a born-again experience. And he continues to distribute or pour out or grant added faith. You need faith today. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 15 minutes or 55 years. You need faith. I need faith to follow him and know how to deal with today. I'm glad I have some history with the Lord and I've seen his faithfulness. That's not meant to create a complacency on my part, but a greater expectation. Knowing, man, you have been so faithful in this difficult situation or this current relationship or this growing problem. God, I want to approach it with faith. I don't want to look back, well, that's just how God always does. There was a group that you don't want to be associated with. A great portion of the Bible speaks of this group. It was a group that had seen the hand of the Lord. They'd seen the power of the Lord. They had seen... They had plenty of reason to believe God was faithful. What group do you think I'm talking about? They wandered for a little while. Yeah, they had some characteristics. They're, they're known as the wilderness wannabes, you know, or whatever. W what was their deal? What's the defining characteristic? Unbelief. And unbelief was expressed through complaining. Unbelief was expressed that they're just, they were never content. No matter what God did, yeah, but we still got to deal with this. Yeah, but we probably are going to get stuck with the frosted flakes again tomorrow morning. You know, who knows what we're going to eat. You know what I mean? It just, it, it, and, and God said, you know what? I'm just going to let you live where you want to live. Just outside the blessing. Just outside the joy. Just right there in the not quite good enough zone. Because you want to live there. And do you know that wasn't for that one group? I believe it's 1 Corinthians 10. 
that tells us these things happen to them as, a, as an admonition, as a warning, as an instruction to us that we may benefit from learning what they did so we don't do it the way they did it. It wasn't just historical one season. It's a lesson to be learned and embraced by all of us. And it's something I naturally have to fight against. I can find problems in anything. It's my disposition. I don't actually wrestle with it anymore. I understand it to a degree vocationally. Not now, but I mean, I spent 20 years working in the truck shop. And people brought broken trucks to me. And my job wasn't to go, well, at least the right side looks good. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, we got to find all the problems with this thing. And then we got to figure out what order to put it back together. And it, 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 there's a lot of things in my life were diagnostic and in, in, in processing. And it was it, literally, I see it as a gift. People are not one of those things. So if you're diagnostic, when I would come home, you remember, there's times I'd come home, and, and she would be like kind of head tilted, eyes glazed over, deer in the headlight, a little bit of a look, you know, a little bit of tear developing. And I'm like, what's up? <sighs> and I'm like, why did I ask? And then I'm like, um, and she starts to tell me. And, and I think, okay, listen, when they get the toys and all the kids get the toys out like that, you know, don't let them put them all in the room. And I get very diagnostic. And she'd be, she'd be, oh, I'm so glad that you know everything and I'm stupid. You know, that's really what she sensed. And, and she'd just be looking at me and then she'd start to cry. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't understand women. And I remember one time I talked to her and I, I remember washing the dishes on Marshall Street, looking out the kitchen window onto the street, just going, what am I, what's going on? Why can't she keep up with the dishes? I mean, what is she doing all day long? And this is what my last thought process are. And then it's like, and then it's like, what's wrong? I literally have voice almost as one of those experiences with the Lord is almost audible. Why can't you wash the dishes? It's like, I've been working all day. Why can't you wash the dishes? And I ended up just literally looking out the window, just like, because what was they doing? I was complaining. I was complaining. And I had logic and rationale to support my complaint. But the Lord said, why can't you do the dishes? You can do it. And I realized, man, I had a totally distorted, carnal, earthly view of the very things that are the most important to me. And I had to choose. Like, you know, I'm not going to take that point. And I, it ties together with what I said about the diagnostic dynamic of Dan. I just, there's something that broke. I, I think about how it is. And I have to, Lord, but I don't want to do it that way. I want to make sure I impart, you infuse, it's energized by the presence of genuine faith. Believing that he is God and he's a rewarder. It literally speaks of he's a responder with results. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And it's like, okay, Lord, I want to make sure I'm putting you first. So the first point, I'm telling you, he gives you enough information to obey and to observe. He gives you the information. If he's prompted you to participate, to be a part, do something different in your life, he gives you the information and, and the ability to do that and to observe what growth would look like, what validation would be. And you, your part, my part, is to infuse or allow faith to be brought into action, into emotion, because he's given it to us. He does not withhold faith. If you sense that you don't have enough faith, then what do you do? You go like, you know, the little train. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Or you just say, you know what, I don't know, God. I don't even think I have enough faith. 
Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me, help me to take this step. I believe you're calling me to this. I believe you'll, you'll, you'll reconcile this, and I'm going to start towards you in this situation. And I don't, I don't know what to look for next, but I'm going to go by faith. Next one, out of John chapter 1. I'm going to have to crank the pace here. This is good stuff, so I'm not in a hurry. John chapter 1, verses 38 and 39 from last week. Jesus asking the two of his disciples, as you see there in in verse 38, as uh, the disciples had heard him speak, and and Jesus turned to him in verse 38 and said, What do you seek? And they said to him, Teacher, where are you staying? What, are they on the housing committee? I mean, why do they care where he lives? So here's an interesting part. You know, Jesus met them where they were thinking, but he took them to what they were really looking for. So it's a, it's a kind of just a fill-in conversation. What, where are you, what, do you, what do you seek? Oh, where are you living? Where are you staying? Which was a, kind of a way of saying, we're, we'll go to your place and just kind of chill or hang out. But Jesus knew you're looking for something much more. See, you may be seeking him for different, seeking things for different reasons, but what you truly seek is a real, genuine relationship with the living God. Every one of us, that's in, embedded within us. We long to have that relationship with our Creator, even though our consciousness sometimes conflicts and comes up with different explanations. Ultimately, we have that deep within us to know and have a real relationship. And so I would just say out of John 1, 38 and 39, what do you seek? And he doesn't say, listen, I'm not going to make you that. He says, what do you seek? And then he says this, come and see. You could say come and see was an answer to the question, where do you live? But it really wasn't what Jesus was looking for, was going to do. He's going to say, come and see who I am. You use your senses. You use your observation. You get to know who I am. And that's the call for each one of us. In verse 41, we'll move on to our third point. We have the first point, he gives you enough information to obey and observe. The second point, what do you seek? And he says, come and see. The third point, as you seek, you'll see, and here's the third point, what you see, you share. We see that out of verse 41. In verse 41, one of the two who heard John and followed him was Andrew, and he, Andrew first found his own brother, Simon, and said, come see, I think it's the Messiah. What you see, you share. It's not a method, it's a lifestyle. It's not a, a okay, I gotta do this. And, you know, you just do that. You, we looked at it last week, it's real simple. You find a nice restaurant, you share it with somebody. You have something that you really like, man, this is so good, I, I just want people to know. I, I had some pictures, this is kind of a weird example, but I took some, had some trail camera pictures here recently of a cougar up on the property where we're at, and they're just cool. I just thought it was a cool picture. And I knew there's people that would enjoy seeing that picture, so I shared that picture with them. It wasn't because it was my pet. I kind of refer to it as we have one cat in, house, in our house called Little Trouble, and I've called that one Big Trouble. <laughs> but, you know, some of you, how many of you, anybody see it on Facebook? Okay. It's just a cool picture. It's something that I thought was good. I just shared it. You know, there's no, 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 no profit, nothing on my part. It's a, it's a lifestyle we live. How much more, when we understand the truths of the Lord, we share those. When we meet, you know, when, it's like in this situation here, you know, it was, uh, what was it, uh, Philip? 
I mean, no, uh, Andrew, duh. Andrew, like, I got to tell Peter. He knew Peter was interested in this stuff. He knew Peter was longing to know who the Messiah was. And so he says, Pete, check this out. This guy might be the Messiah. I mean, I, you know more than I do, but, you know, just you should check this out. You share what you see, what you know to be true. That's our, our third point. The last one is in verses 47 to 51. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said, Teacher, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Oh, you will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here's my thrust, and we'll carry it from here to the next portion. Jesus knows Nathaniel. Nathaniel was impressed at some simple thing. Hey, before, you know, when you were under the fig tree, I knew you. Like, how did you even know I was under a fig tree? You know, it's something so practical, so real, so natural. And, 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 and he goes on, and, and, and of course we know from this story, Nathaniel's like, whoa, you, you know things that only you could know. You must, be the, you must be God. Jesus knows Nathaniel. Jesus knows you. He knows you. He's calling you to a closer relationship. And you're like, yeah, but how will I know? He knows you. And so don't go, well, yeah, but I, I became a Christian late in life. I don't know the Bible that well. You know, all these things that just kind of flow out of us. Jesus knows you. And he's called you to a close relationship with him. And don't get deceived, shipwrecked, misled, or neglect your faith because of these other things that might actually be true. You don't know the Bible that well. So? Well, you don't know this. You know, So? Jesus knows me. He called me into a relationship with him, not a performance for some system. He called me into a relationship with him. And, I, you know, these are things, why do I make this point? Because there's nothing new under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And for the last 2,000 plus years, disciples have struggled with these type of things. We've, we've wondered if I'm really called, or if this is the church I should be in, or if this is this, or that, or that. And ultimately, we have forgotten sometimes, are not actually accurately embraced. Jesus knows you. He knows you. He knows the worst thing about you, and he has the best for you. And he calls you into a closer relationship with him. And may our expression be more like Nathaniel's realization. You're God. You're God. God, I can't do this. I don't have enough money for that. You're God. You're God. You got it. I don't know how it's going to unfold. I don't know the details, but I know you're going to draw me closer to you because that's your desire. So, longest intro that I've ever done. 30 minutes on an intro. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Continuing the story chronologically, so to speak. I mentioned it last week. The Bible puts things in in kind of a topical order with a chronological reference, but the stories are not set like a Western civilization, our way of thinking, where you literally are more dogmatic about the date and time. 
And so when you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and how they, they merge, they don't, the stories don't always end up in the same place. If you look at Mark and then you look at, say, Matthew, the, the sequence seems to be a little different because they're not putting the chronology as the emphasis. We can assemble the chronology with reasonable accuracy because we have all four Gospels, so we can put them together. So I mentioned that because here they were called. We've seen in John 1. But now we see in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon and called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, so James and John, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their, left their boat and their father and followed him. So they were introduced, as we've seen back in John chapter 1. But some time, and we don't know exactly how much time has transpired, they're working through what it means to follow Jesus. They're, they're taking care of their kids. They're taking care of their family. They're, they're visiting their grandparents. They're doing what they need to do. But Jesus is calling them closer into a deeper relationship. Their following him was gradual. Learning as they go, you might say. Can you relate to that? That as you start out, you just learn as you go. And the longer you go, the more you learn. And the more you learn, the more you long for. And so it's just this beautiful, like, hunger and thirst. (coughs) Excuse me. So now let's go from Matthew 4, let's venture over to Luke chapter 5. I believe the details of these stories um, give us a reason to believe that Matthew 4 is one time and some time transpires and we pick up now in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to say, as we read this story, try to view it from the perspective of our, our topic or our thought. You know, a teacher preparing a student. Peter's the student. Jesus is teaching him what it means to be a disciple. And as we read from this and, and, and kind of soak it in, we'll discover that discipleship is simply loving Jesus by listening to, learning from, and obeying him. You say, well, how do I love God? Well, I would just say it is this simple. Simply loving Jesus is done by listening to him, learning from him, and obeying him. Because who, what's Jesus interested in? People. And he teaches us how to love people. He teaches us how, to, how, he, how he engages and how he would direct us and how he teaches us. So he's discipling us. The biggest difficulty you have is another person. You might not know him by name, but don't say it. You know, but that the truth is, that's just always going to be our challenge. You know, we could say finances. We could say location where we live. We could look at these other things, but no, it's people. Because that's where our greatest wealth is, our greatest growth is, our greatest joy is. The very people that bring the greatest joy in your life often bring an equal proportionate amount of pain in a different season. It's fascinating. So he teaches us how to love him by listening, learning, and obeying him. And, and I think it's fascinating. So let's pick up in verse 1. The multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. So 
is Lake Gennesaret, is it that smaller one next to Galilee? Or is it, it it's, what is it? So Gennesaret is another way to say Galilee. So if you lived on one side in one portion in one area, you called it Gennesaret. Because that's, if you lived in a different region, you call it Galilee. Do you know what it's called? We were actually, when I was over there here just three weeks ago or so, got to go out on the lake, and that's what they call it, the lake. Because it's the lake. You know, if I say the lake here, someone's going to say Stryker Anderson. They're not going to think the Mountain Home Reservoir, correct? It's too small. It's too, too insignificant. So when they say the lake, like if we were to say, if you lived at, say, Pine or Featherville, I'm going to go over to the lake. You don't have to say Anderson. I'm going to go to Anderson Ranch Reservoir. They're going to go, weirdo. You know, so it's just, that's my point. When you come across it, there's just, it makes sense. Locale, and, and not slang, but just the nomenclature, the terminology they used. So they're on, they stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and, saw, and notice this, Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. This was a normal practice. They fished all night. Commercial fishermen making a living, and so they fished all night, and they were taking care of their equipment. Verse 3, then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Oh, what a coincidence. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. He had said that, hey, later, I think it was actually in Mark, have a boat ready. Because we're told that the crowds, the multitudes, pressed in about him. They wanted to hear so bad that it was kind of a soccer stadium problem. People were at risk of being crushed. And so he said, hey, have a boat ready. And there's another reason for that, um, because as the, the slope up the Sea of Galilee, and actually for where this area is, it's just a little uh, north on the side. So Jesus is from Nazareth, which I believe is 10 to 12 miles up the hill, so to speak, from the Sea of Galilee. And so where this took place is actually just south of, you just come down the hill from where he lived. And just to the side, well, there, there was, and the reason I'm, they're pretty confident about this, there's not that many coves and bays and type of inlets along the Sea of Galilee. So he would actually have them have a boat ready for, for safety of his crew, but also so he could come out. And then it allowed, it's a perfect um, amphitheater type of feel. It was just a perfect natural setting for the, the voice to carry. We were, uh, I can't remember which spot it was at. We we're, we're looking down at the Sea of Galilee and the way the, the drainage, came, it was really more of a, just a rolling hills. But as we're teaching, um, Chet Lowe actually was teaching and I'm, I'm recording it, but I, you literally could hear him so well. I mean, he didn't have to like really kind of boom his voice or, you know, we didn't really have anything for amplification. And so that's why Jesus did this. He, he got in the boat, and it was so easy to speak to a mass of people without any amplification. And so notice, he, he asked Simon to do that. He taught the multitude. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Peter is about to receive a, a, an up-close lesson, if you would. Because he's in the boat, which is interesting, and maybe he's just helped keeping it in place. I think Jesus had much more in mind for this disciple. I, I believe he's going to take him where he needs to go. Now, you know, maybe this is just the best way for Peter to receive the message. 
to sit so close, he won't miss what's being said. Um, what's the point to that? Well, basically, give Jesus your undivided attention, even when you're tired, disappointed, or discouraged. Regardless of your state of mind, he's worthy of our full attention. Peter, what did he do? Fished all night. He's mending the nets. What's your state of mind? Semi-vegetative, right? Close to coma. You're just tired. You worked all night, and now he's going to begin to teach. I think about things that I, I hold myself to a high standard for, just kind of trying to set aside, so to speak, my, my spiritual, if you could say that, disciplines, but just interests, hobbies, vocation. There's certain things that I have a high, and when I was painting trucks, I had a real high personal standard. The truck had to be prepped a certain way. If a fender showed some type of contamination, I didn't just paint it anyway, even if, if it meant I had to work later. I had this standard. It's like, no, I'm not going to lower the bar. I want this to look good. I'm putting my name on it. I want my reputation. I'm doing it right. So I had this high standard. How much more should we have this high standard for as far as giving him our attention I mean, it doesn't even compare to having time for the creator of the universe who loves you deeply and has his best in mind for me. I want to give him my attention. And so, uh, real quickly, as a young Christian, I'm still doing a lot of things. I'm still kind of in hyperdrive, so to speak, of life with not really a lot of focus, just a lot of opportunities. One thing I was doing was, was I was learning how to bowl, and I was getting really good at it. And the Mur Brown at Timber Lanes at that time in Boise invited me to be on the house team because I was bad enough that the really good bowlers needed some handicap points, basically is what it comes down to. But he also took me in under his wing and was letting me bowl for like house rate or employee rate, 25 cents a game, but I had to do it after league. So I had to come in at like 10 o'clock. Remember those days, Kim? So I would, I'd go in and he would, he would give me pointers and you know I won't get into how I, I improved so much. But I would bowl, but it would be midnight, 1 o'clock sometimes by the time I left the lane and lived close. But on Tuesday morning, I met with my pastor for a Bible study. We started out going through the, the book of Colossians, actually. But I was bowling on Monday night, and it's 1 o'clock. And to be at study at 6 o'clock... And to leave study at 7 to make it to work at 7.30, you know what I mean? I'm like, but I realized, wait a minute. If I can stay out late bowling, the Lord's worthy of my attention. I'll discipline myself because the bowling has to go. You see what I'm saying? I just learned, and I think we all, there's not, it's not like I learned and got it. It's just something you want to be. Peter is tired. He's in a tough spot, but yet he's going to give the Lord his attention. And I think it's kind of cool because Jesus did help him. He helped him. Like, Peter, send, the, send out. First of all, with the tie-in is Peter's sitting in the boat while he's teaching the multitude. So it's really awkward. Have you ever sat front row? Obviously, it's vacant. On Sunday morning, you don't always sit up front, right? You know where I sit when I'm not teaching? Very front. You know why? I can't fall asleep there. The speaker will call me out. I mean, if I'm sitting there and they know I'm a pastor and I fall asleep during the teaching, I'm dead. You know what I mean? And I literally purposely put my, I would do that in Boise. I would sit up front and take notes because it forced me to pay attention. 
And you, some of you might find it better to be in the back or to be wherever. And, and I think this is hilarious because I see a few of you guys, and I'm going to call you out right now. So this is hilarious. So many guys are like this. And then finally they just quit fighting it, which I encourage you, don't fight it. Just drop your head, but pay attention. So here's the thing. This, no, seriously, this is the thing. I, I, here's one. There's not him, but there's, there's a couple in here. There's one. He, he pops Altoids so he won't fall asleep. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. When I see guys doing this, I've learned this. This is a fact. Sometimes they're actually listening very closely. They've stopped fighting the whole thing. They're like, Sometimes they're not. <laughs> Sometimes. You, know, you see my point? We learn. We actually, if I'm really, I wouldn't do it if I was employed by a company and the CEO is teaching. There is no way I'm going to get fired for sleeping during a meeting. And, and I don't, it's not pressure. It's not like, it, it's just, I want to give him my full attention. He's worthy of my full attention. If this is the way he's speaking through a small group, through this, through that, Lord, I want to receive. I want to soak it in and I want to encourage you. You know, hold yourself. Just set a standard that's not, it's not your own, like, works. It's just your senses are being sharpened to be able to discern the difference between good and evil. And it comes through teaching many times. So verse 4 and 5, we see, he said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Verse 5, Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. The teacher turned fisherman gives instruction to the professional commercial fisherman. And so it's interesting because Peter offers some respectful objection showing willingness mixed with reluctance. Sound familiar in your life? Willingness mixed with reluctance. Uh, teacher, you know, he's not master, Lord, it's literally teacher. Um, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Um, uh, nevertheless, at your word, I will. In verse 5, Peter addresses Jesus as master, which is overseer, appointee, teacher. Obedience always opens the door to blessing. One of your points for tonight. Obedience always opens the door to blessing. Peter had his doubts, yet he chose to obey Jesus' personal instruction to him. And it's a, you see it as a key in our own lives. We have our doubts, let's not deny it. We, we even have a little bit of a reluctance. But obedience always opens the door to blessing. Peter was willing to obey Jesus' personal instruction to him. We're not isolated in a boat as Peter was, but we are often on our own sea of, in, of uncertainty. Uh, often it's when we're not sure why, why Jesus is instructing us to do something. Uh, in these times, here's the approach. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. Peter didn't go blazing out telling Jesus what he was going to do and then Jesus would have to bless him because Peter told him he was going by faith. Peter heard the word as he, nevertheless, at your word I will. Lord, as you instruct me, give me the strength to follow you. Verse 7, or verse 6, 
And when they had, had done this, notice it says they, which says others were in the boat, they caught a great number of fish and the net was beyond, or the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. It's amazing, but notice this. Those who were closest to Peter benefited from his obedience as well. Do you see that? Peter's the disciple. You're a disciple. But as we step in obedience, even with some reluctance, but with the confidence, like, God, okay, I, I really know you're directing me to this. The ones closest to them benefited from his obedience. They literally physically benefited because now there's so many fish, such a blessing that they never could have generated on their own, that it's just mind-boggling. And so be aware that when we step out in faith, when we're growing in our walk with Jesus, um, others will benefit. Family members, friends, coworkers have actually benefited when we were obedient. It can't be your main compulsion, propulsion, motivation, but it's certainly worthy to understand because I found it important to realize it's not about me. Obedience, it really isn't about me. I'm the beneficiary of obedience, but other people are impacted. When a husband chooses to labor hard at a job and get by to provide a home and provide for his children, his obedience, others benefit from that. When a wife chooses to do what she does in raising the kids or providing some income or doing what they do with the simple goal of being obedient and loving people, then others are benefited. And so much more as we see, as we, as we grow spiritually. Our growth can't be to impress people. Our growth should leave an impression upon people. We, we sh- it, should, it should be noticeable. You know, the, the, it says in the New Testament, you guys can look it up and tell me where it's at, but, you know, let your progress be evident to all. Paul to Timothy. Let your progress be evident to all. We should be growing. That's a reasonable expectation for a child of God, a disciple of Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ. We should be maturing. And, and it's not a stair step. It's not a standard. It's not you got to be here by this date. It's just personal progress, and, and people will notice it. I think of a, I'm no great portion of you in here. You, you've experienced it as you've matured and grown, and, and others have noticed it. Some have pulled away from it. Others have been drawn to it, but they've all noticed it, that your progress is evident. People are blessed. Now, in verse 8, Simon Peter saw this whole thing unfold, saw this all going down, and he said, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. At first glance, this is an unusual response for a fisherman who just made the catch of his life, who just hauled in, possibly, I would think probably, the biggest revenue, the biggest haul in he's ever had. And yet, what does he say? Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. You look closer at it, it's an appropriate response for a disciple who just caught a glimpse of the master teacher. Previously, Peter had addressed Jesus as teacher, overseer, master. Now Peter calls him a different uses a different word, master, lord, speaking of the highest level of authority and respect. He's growing in this relationship. His life experience Jesus met him on the job, so to speak. 
And, and he's teaching him his ways, and he's realizing the power and presence and who the person is, and he is awestruck. We can make it. Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 5, actually chapter 6. And I just want to read it. You'll see the correlation and the connection, the parallel, so to speak, of an Old Testament disciple who God was teaching. And it says in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, So I said to me, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of like the response Peter's having, except for much more dramatic of a scene with the angels involved and this glimpse of, of heaven and vision. And let me finish the story as we're reading there in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And we're going to see a New Testament example of that as we go back to Luke chapter 5. Peter says, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. What what an amazing element and essential ingredient of discipleship. Where Peter realizes in his personal life, Jesus really is God. Not just the teaching of a pastor, not the concept of, of, of a congregation, not just the doctrine of a denomination. The living God is in Jesus Christ, and he knows my life. He knows me. It's a sobering experience to realize you're not in control after all. These seasoned fishermen had labored all night, and now this teacher has shown greater knowledge and power than they had ever known. They had never experienced anything like that. Jesus graciously comforts them, but even more so opens their eyes to a greater purpose and calling. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's for you tonight. That's for me tonight. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear creep in and try to crush faith. Let faith grow. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. It's absolutely essential that we recognize his place in our lives before we set out to serve him. Some know to set out to serve him because they, they, they know that's just what you should do. Let me, let, me, let me just read you this quote. Many have set out merely from knowledge and noble intent 
but they have not experienced the sobering reality of his power and love. May we be moved because we are in awe of him and his instruction to us. May we be moved because we are in awe of him. And I think this whole experience on the sea created a hunger, a curiosity, a strong desire to know Jesus at a deeper level. And it can only be satisfied by, by sacrifice and departure. They had to let go of things. They, you know, they, they didn't abandon family. They didn't shrug their responsibilities. But they had to start exercising their senses and start making a plan, if you would. If I'm going to follow him, I'm going to follow him. I remember it so personal and so essential. I was a young Christian. None of my family was, was, has ever you know, had an interest in the Lord. We had a religion of reference, but it was just religion. And so I'm a young Christian. I go talk to my mom and dad. And I, you, some of you have heard this story, but I walk up the sidewalk, 6105 Primrose Street, Boise, Idaho, just off Fairview. I'm walking up the street, the house I grew up in. My mom and dad step out, meet me at, there at the top of the steps. And normally I could come in the house, but they met me at the top of the steps. And I go, oh, okay. I, th- I thought they were just heading out to go somewhere, which they may have been, who knows. But as I met them, they, it started to be kind of an awkward conversation. And it led to my, lo- my beautiful mom saying, Danny, I, we knew from the moment you started going to that church, we lost you. And I'm, it just shocked me. It was totally out of nowhere. And her and dad are standing there, and I'm like, lost me? I don't cuss as much as I used to. I don't treat people the way I used to. I'm a little bit less arrogant than I used to be. I mean, I, what do you mean you, you lost me? I don't know. We just, we, I knew we lost you. And they turned around. It's creepy, vivid in my mind. And it was, had to be pushing, 35 years, 30 plus years ago. They turned around and went in the house and closed the door. And I'm standing at the bottom of the steps. I'm just wrecked. I'm wrecked. And men don't cry, so I'm wrecked. And tears are, I'm starting to sob, and I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm completely confused. I'm like, and I, I, I fine, you know, I'm leaving. So I, I, I start, and it's not 25, 30 feet across down the sidewalk to the or this, yeah, the, the sidewalk to the street sidewalk. But I get to the street sidewalk, and I, I'm, I got no, nothing. I turn, and I sit down, and I look back at the house I grew up in. I know my parents, and I'm shocked. I just, I'm, I'm devastated. I got nothing. And yet the Lord just spoke to me. It's like, have me. And then there was, a, and I don't even think I'd even, I, I don't know. I don't think I'd even read the verse, but I realized I had to make a decision between all other relationships, between my parents, between my sibling, everything. I had to, and I remember just a growing, like, instant kind of tenacity and a determination. Like, God, I am not leaving you. I am not going to become what they expect me to be if it means I can't be with you. I am not going back. I am not going back. And I'm, 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 I'm literally, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not like cheerleader, you know, boosting myself up. I'm just, this is just a, I believe a Holy Spirit-led determination. It's like, you know, I am not going back to that. And, and I realized I had to just let go of everything. We stayed in communication. We stayed. We did as much interaction as we could. Sadly, some years later, my mom and dad divorced. 
but joyfully my mom come to Christ through premarital counseling for her second marriage. And she passed away just a short period into that marriage. And my dad has since become a Christian. And we just seen a real beautiful conversion, a beautiful love growing from him. But there was a point where I had to just realize, man, I, I gotta, I'm giving up. I am not going to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going back there. I, I've had enough of that. And I love my parents. I loved, you know, my parents did the best they could with what they chose to work with. And what that means is they didn't want the Lord. So they did a great job when they cut out 99% of what they need. And so I'm glad to be able to tell you the rest of the story, like the Paul Harvey version. But there was a point where like, you know what? I've got to just, I, this is, this is, it's created a hunger and a curiosity and a deep desire. And I'm, I just really felt like the Lord, you're with me. He literally, in a sense, gave me the strength to stand up. To get in a, I think I had an old blue 19, I think it was a 62 Chevy pickup. Leaked, it was a self-lubing chassis. Leaked so much oil, just blew oil all the way down the back of it, you know. Anyway, you guys don't know the details, but I do. And I drove away. And I just, to this day, as I've shared just tonight, it's pivotal. It's instrumental in my walk with the Lord. Because it's where Jesus went from a concept to a strength from an ideology, a theory, and a thought, and a religious perspective to the living God in my life. And, and it, was just, it was just me and him. I mean, I drove out of there. You know, I wasn't with Kim at the time as far as like she wasn't at the time, there at that time. So um, I just want to encourage you, you know, that desire can only be, you know, when you have that moment, that calling, it can only be satisfied by sacrifice, literally giving up who you used to be, and embracing who he's called you to be and letting him leave it. You know, the word forsook we've seen there simply means they left all behind. It doesn't mean they abandoned responsibilities. Those responsibilities now were under or behind their relationship with the Lord. You know, I experienced that. I worked in the truck shop, the same place, for 20 plus years. Ten of it as a non-believer and the following ten as a believer. And so I... It, the transition was, and now he leads me and teaches me how to repair trucks and paint trucks. And before, I just relied on vocational physical ability. And it was a powerful thing to embrace the greater and realize he's there. Let me give you a quick review for note takers. Um, I'm only gonna, I'll pick up the, the, the ones from tonight. And if you need the others, I can mention those as well. Um, first thing I would say, put yourself where you can hear and give him all your attention. It's not... It's not uh, works. It's just respect. It's just how you do it. And, and I'm not saying you're going to nail it every time. I'm not saying I never fell asleep during the service. I, I just realized I wouldn't do this in these places. Why would I do it in this place? You know, I wouldn't come in late for that. Why would I come in late here? I wouldn't oversleep if I went out. You know what I mean? I was going to go to work if I bowled all night because I didn't want to get fired. Like, gosh, why don't I apply some of those simple principles in my walk with the Lord? So put yourself where you can hear. Give him all your attention. Out of verses uh, 5 and 6, obedience always opens the door to his blessings. So your application is, uh, nevertheless, at your word, I will. You know, you may have that reluctance in your response, but he respects, he, I don't want to say he respects that, he honors that and actually infuses a greater energy when we're willing to take that step. So obedience always opens the door to blessings. Third point, Notice those who are closest to Peter benefited from his obedience. Here's the point. Others benefit from your obedience as well. It can't be your primary drive because then you're looking for a pat on the back. 
but it can be an understanding that people are going to benefit. It's not always about me. Number four, grow. Teacher overseer soon becomes master lord. And that's speaking of the highest level of respect and authority. We can say he's my lord, my master, my savior. But that needs to be lived out and learned through his love. And when we realize that he, we, he goes from just teacher, we've never, never seen that derogatory or negative or lower, but he becomes our master, our Lord, in, in every element, every aspect. And that's an ongoing thing. Do you realize that? He can become a Lord of your life, and you could reach a spiritual plateau, but on that plateau, you often go down the other side. And because you've had the plateau experience, you look back at the experience not realizing he's no longer Lord in these other areas. And that's an always a thing that we're always looking to him and calling him, calling us closer to that lordship. And the last thing I would mention from tonight's one of life's greatest purposes, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And you know he's just t- taking this whole thing. He's going to broadcast his nets, and we get to be a part of it. And he will r- bring in souls to be exposed and introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have certain roles and parts and you know, that we're portions that we do that. So let me give you a couple things to think about. For the next few days, meditate on these verses in this, you know, chapter. I've taught this chapter several times with a different emphasis and different things, and I love being able to break it down from this truth of the discipleship and learning how to be discipled. But meditate on it. Think them over. Pray them through. Let God open your eyes to, to blessing beyond measure. Um, often we're like Peter, more sure of our opinion than of the ability of God. And that's true whether we've walked with Jesus a little while or we spent miles and years. And my prayer is that these verses, what we've read, will awaken us and encourage us to listen closer, to look deeper and hunger more for his ways in our lives. And so will you close with me in one last passage? It's a point of prayer. It's out of Psalm 119. One of my favorite psalms. It's just difficult because it's so long. Well, it's kind of with attitude of prayer. I'm going to read it. But maybe you can just really be owning it as well as I read it. Because it is a petition. It is the cry of a disciple. And, and with a mindset in prayer, let me just start with that. And then I'm going to read, read it for us. I'm sorry. So, psalm 119, verses 33 to 37. Psalm 119, verses 33 to 37. And we're going to take hold of this as a prayer and a personal request, so to speak. God, as we have been able to receive from you tonight and absorb your word, we know that you've spoken to us. I'm glad, God, that you've used my voice to somehow convey these truths. But Holy Spirit, I know it's you. You're the one that amplifies it. You're the one that enlightens our heart and brings the light and truth upon your word. And you show each one of us how it's applied, how it's lived out, and, and how to take hold of it. And so my, my prayer, our prayer, Lord, would be just this. That teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Tilt or incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant. 
who's devoted to fearing you. God, that's our request. May you be glorified. May we just walk closer with you, learning the knowledge and the truth of the love that's within us by your leading and direction, allowing that love to somehow be exhibited, to be seen and manifested in our lives that others would long for what we have. They would long for you more and more. Thank you, God, in your sweet name, Jesus. Amen. Mm